the teams you care about. When you think about the Patriots' needs this offseason, look for one trait, explosiveness. The stories that matter to you. I'm not convinced that Ben Shungu, that he's not the league player of the year. This is your home for New England sports. Bobby Dahlbeck playing third base this year? Now that is interesting. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show on a Wednesday, a pre-tournament Wednesday here on WDEB-AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes up until 7 o'clock, and then Jazz with George Thomas takes over. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson, also the Bruins. He's going to be with us at 545. Part of our conversation with UVM radio broadcaster Brian McLaughlin comes up today. We'll talk to him as we get ready for a UVM in Arkansas tomorrow. A little bit from Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio as well. You can always get in, as always, on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And you can also get in on the Facebook Live and YouTube Live chats. Let's waste no time, everybody. Lego! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. And the opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to start off the show this way. I want to start off the show with an apology, an apology to you, the listeners. I want to apologize for having been what I feel is so negative lately. I really feel like, I was thinking about this last night, I feel like for the last two months, I've been very negative. And that's really not my goal, and I, it's really not my shtick, it's not my thing to be contrarian, and that's what I feel like I've become over the last two months. Now, UVM has given me a reason to be excited, optimistic, and positive, but that's really been it. I apologize to all of you for being negative-sounding. I want this show to be entertaining, and I want it to be fun, and I feel like I have brought the mood down. But you have to understand where I'm coming from. The reality is this. The Patriots and Red Sox, from my vantage point, they just haven't given us anything to be positive about. I'm not trying to be negative. It's all just coming out. From the, from the end of December, this is when I think all this really started. From the end of December, the Patriots lost three of their last four regular season games. Then they got beat by a million in the playoffs by their division rival. That wasn't real fun. The subsequent looking in the mirror and the subsequent conversation, that wasn't real fun. And then the offseason started, and things have gotten decidedly worse for the Patriots, while their opponents have gotten decidedly better. Since the season ended, the Patriots have now lost three-fifths of their starting offensive line, their entire linebacking core, their best defensive player in J.C. Jackson, we know today that Gunnar Olszewski, their all-pro return man, he's hitting for agency. And Brandon Bolden, a key third down back, special teamer and team leader, he's gone and signed with Vegas. 
other teams around the Patriots are getting better. It is hard for me to be positive in all of that. It it just is. It's hard for me to be positive in all that. I want the New England Patriots to get back to the Super Bowl. I want the Boston Red Sox to get back to the World Series. And right now, things aren't looking real good for either of them. The Patriots in particular are getting further and further removed from my goal. My goal is for them to get back to a Super Bowl. And I want them to do it as quickly as possible. That is what you are in sports for. It's what you're supposed to be in sports for is winning championships. And the Patriots right now are not there. They're not even close to there. And that bothers me. And over the last two months, I feel like my frustration and my anger has has really come through. I mean... So my apology is is that I'm sorry for having been so negative because I really was thinking about this yesterday. I'm like, you know what? Am I a downer? Am I too hard on our teams? Am I am I not being entertaining? I was having a moment of reflection yesterday, and I'm like, am I not being entertaining? Am I just being curmudgeon-y? Because I don't want to be curmudgeon but the reality is the Patriots have done absolutely nothing to make me feel real excited for the last two and a half months. Bringing back Matthew Slater, James White, Devin McCourty, I do like those players. I'm glad they're going to play for the New England Patriots. But beyond that, not a lot else has elicited a lot of positive reaction from me. And look, I'm not the only one who feels this way. Others are starting to catch on as well. Mark Dendero is a radio host at WEEI in Providence and also on WEEI in Boston in the uh, the nighttime hours. And this was from his show just last night. Every team, it seems, is getting better. The teams that are directly in competition with them in the AFC, not necessarily the AFC East, but in the AFC, are getting better. And the Patriots... They're not getting better. I've been saying that for weeks. I've been saying that same thought for weeks. People need to realize it. The Patriots are getting worse, and that frustrates me. And That's where the negativity comes from. And then we get to baseball, and that didn't do a whole lot else to bring me a whole lot of relief. 99 days of a lockout. The Red Sox, who have added some mid-level pitchers, They've brought back an outfielder that can't really hit. And then today, we get the news that Chris Sale is out for a couple of weeks. He's not going to be ready for opening day. And he's got a stress fracture in his rib cage. You couple all of their, you know, the Red Sox, what I think right now is a a very subpar offseason. You couple that with what their opponents are doing. The Blue Jays go get a third baseman today that's a platinum gold glove winner and 30 home run guy in Matt Chapman. Blue Jays just got better. The Red Sox right now are a third or fourth place team in their own division. A team that got to the a- to the ALCS last year is now a third or fourth place team in their division. That is where we are at. All of what I have said for the last two and a half months, it is true. I don't take back what I said, but I feel bad that my attitude for the last two months has been generally negative. But my job as a radio host is to tell the truth, is to give you my opinion, my spin on the truth. And right now, the truth is 
the Patriots aren't real uh, optimistic. The Red Sox aren't doing a lot to elicit optimism from me. They're not going to be awful. They play in the best division in the sport, in my opinion. So the, the top four teams in that division are all going to be good. But I could easily see the Red Sox winning 86 games and missing the playoffs, even in the expanded playoffs. Now, they could be they could surprise me like they did a year ago. But right now, today, Red Sox are in slightly above average baseball team. Patriots today are a average to below average team in the AFC. That is where my negativity comes from. Catamounts have given me optimism. Celtics are playing well, but like beyond Jason Tatum's scoring blitz, there hasn't been a whole lot of news from the Celtics. They make me happy that they're winning, but there's not like a whole lot of newsworthy stuff outside of Tatum scoring blitz. So I, I was thinking about it yesterday. I really do feel bad. If I've been too negative, I'm sorry. My goal is to bring you an entertaining and informative program. That is the goal. I don't know if me being negative is entertaining. I'm not trying to have a shtick. At the end of the day, I am just like you. I am a fan. And when I put my fan hat on and sit behind this microphone, I get upset seeing our teams get lapped by all of their competition. And that's what's happening. The Patriots are being lapped by the AFC, and that bothers me. They are being poached by the AFC, and that bothers me. The Red Sox are being lapped right now in the offseason race. Look who's gotten better around them. Toronto's gotten better. I don't know that the Yankees have gotten appreciably better. They've gotten a little better, but I don't know if much, so I'm not even going to include them. Toronto's gotten better. The White Sox have gotten better. Detroit has gotten better. Seattle has gotten better. The Angels will, by nature, they should be better, given that Rendon will be healthy and Trout will be healthy and they'll have Otani with those three. I mean, they should be very good. So a lot of teams are getting better around the Red Sox, too. And right now, they're not. And when I put my fan hat on, that bothers me, and this is the reaction that comes out. So I apologize. What we need is our teams to do more to make us happy. Let's get to the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Phil in Middlesex, no need to apologize. Thank you, Phil. Virginia in Starksboro says, an apology to Virginia in Starksboro for not appreciating her jokes. Um, thanks, Brady. Yeah, Virginia sends a lot of jokes that oftentimes can't be repeated. Phil over in Berlin, you're being too much of a homer. Look to other sports to add some levity. I think your audience would appreciate thoughts on other good teams. Sports are fun. Win or lose. Phil, look, this is, you know what? That's a fair point, but here's what I'll tell you. The audience mostly is fans of the teams that I'm talking about. We air the Red Sox games. We air the Patriots games. We're fans of UVM, the Bruins, the Celtics. I can't go and do 32 minutes on how much I enjoy watching Luka and the Dallas Mavericks. I can't spend 15 minutes talking about Damian Lillard's contract situation. I could get away with talking about the NFL in general. That's probably true. Do you want me to do 15 minutes on the Mariners trade the other day with the Reds? I don't know that anybody wants that. They want the teams that we're talking about. 
are the teams we're talking about just haven't done anything to make us excited here in a while. Um, Joe says, no need to apologize, Brady. I agree a million percent. Anthony says, you could talk about the free agencies that uh, the free agent MLB players that are out there. Travis says, can the Browns pick the fix the uh, Baker Mayfield uh, situation? Uh, the Browns situation is not real good right now. I can see the Browns getting Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't want the Browns to get Deshaun Watson. I don't want anybody to get Deshaun Watson. Jimmy Garoppolo to Cleveland, that could be something that I think could be good. Jimmy Garoppolo is a grown-up. Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough with Amari Cooper and with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in that running game. I think the Browns could be good with Jimmy Garoppolo. If they move off Baker, I'd advocate for Jimmy G. What we got to do is talk about the Red Sox next. What's up with Chris Sale, really? Fra a, a stress fracture in his rib cage. What does that even mean? Tom Karen is going to join us next on WDEV. Looking for the latest information on the Red Sox? Not only is David Ortiz a Hall of Famer, but he is one of the best of the best. How about the Bruins? Are they a Stanley Cup champion? Probably not as presently constructed, but they're a playoff team. And you've come to the right place. We talk now with Nesson Insider Tom Karen. Baseball isn't boring because there's still nothing like the communal gathering of fans at a baseball game. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson, Tom Karen, with us every single day, or every single Wednesday rather at this time. TC, how are you? I'm well, Brady. How you doing? Excellent. You've been to Fort Myers once already. You're going back again here soon after the Hockey East playoffs are over. Um, I was going to ask you what the vibe is like for the team down in Florida. You've been doing back to work and all this Red Sox coverage. I was all excited, and then I hear Chris Sales got a stress fracture this morning. So what's going on with the Sox ace? Yeah, not good. Uh, a rib cage. So not a huge, you know, not a shoulder, not an elbow, not a setback from Tommy John. Uh, happened four weeks ago, according to Sale. Uh, then he kind of uh, tweaked it. Uh, during, if you remember, I don't know if you saw it, he threw a live BP on Instagram, basically, uh, during the lockout and, and looked pretty ramped up. Well, apparently might have uh, might have tweaked it and made it worse then during a live BP session. So Heim uh, Bloom telling us it'll be weeks, not days, till he has a baseball in his hand. Uh, no chance he'll be ready for the start of the season. So this is where the depth will come in. Uh, Red Sox feel they've added a ton of depth. Alex Cora told me a couple of days ago it's the most depth he remembers having in the starting rotation, and, and that's saying something for a guy who won a World Series. Uh, but this is a big blow. You know, you expected Sale back strong for a full season. You won't have him at the start. So Evaldi, Pavetta, Rich Hill, Waka. Where's the fifth guy? Is it Hauk? Is it Whitlock? Who are we looking at? It's a great question, and it's one of those two guys to start. I'd like to see uh, Whitlock get the nod. Houck's been really good, but Houck has still had trouble second time through the lineup, third time through the lineup. Uh, I think he's a really, really powerful weapon coming out of the bullpen for three innings, you know, for long duty, which you need now in this game. I think you're going to need more of that than ever before at the start of this year. You only have three weeks. Uh, a lot of guys are only going to get three, uh, uh, you know, sessions, uh, three starts at spring training, maybe four if they're lucky. Uh, so Rivaldi's going to going to get started, no doubt about that. I like Nick Pavetta. He was my my pick to click prior to last season, and he came through, had a great year. Rich Hill, 
Listen, I know he's 42, but until proven otherwise, uh, he's still a terrific pitcher and durable. Had another great year last year. Uh, I, I forget the exact number, but it's over 150 innings of work. So this is a guy who takes the ball. Uh, after that, you know, like you said, you kind of kind of see where it all comes together. Waka was brought in to give you depth, though he's been kind of better as a starter in the last couple of years. But I really like Whitlock. I, if he's not going to be the closer, which is another place I wouldn't mind seeing him, uh, I, I'd like to give Whitlock the chance to be a starter because till the end of his Yankee minor league run, he always was a starter. You know, TC, I actually feel guilty. I feel I started the show with this today. I actually feel like the last couple of weeks I've been nothing but negative. And the reason why is because the Patriots have given me nothing to be positive about lately. Yeah. So I was hoping the Red Sox would turn my attitude to a more positive sense. And I'm not getting real positive vibes there right now either. I'm looking around the American League and I'm seeing Yankees make a move, although I don't know how necessarily much better they are than last year. But Yankees are making moves. Toronto goes to get Chapman today. Seattle's gotten better. The White Sox are making moves. The Red Sox aren't making any moves right now that I think make them exponentially better. How do you feel about them right now? Well, I, there's no doubt that uh, they have not kept up with the Joneses here, right? And I'm not – the Yankees, you know, they made some nice moves, but every guy they bring in – means DJ LeMay, you can't play somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, I mean, and he's a really important guy. And, and today the Yankees said LeMay is going to play every day, but he's going to bounce first, second, third. I, so that means somebody else is out of the lineup when he's in, right? I mean, so that's great. I mean, you, you, you know, if a team wants to go sign six first basemen, that's great, but uh, only one can play. So that's, you know, you've got great depth. No doubt about that. I like, I, you know, Rizzo really makes them better. We know that. But uh, the Blue Jays are the team right now that scares me. You know, they've gone uh, – Chapman's a really good addition to that team. And they've got pitching now. I mean, they've put together a decent staff. Both end, we'll see. Uh, so, you're right. But it was interesting. Uh, Haim Bloom, we asked him that this morning. And, you know, he, I forget how he – like, keeping pace in the derby is not <laughs> our goal, you know, which is interesting. He said, you know, last year, nobody liked their moves. And, and we know what they did, right? Knocked out the Yankees, knocked out the Rays, uh, two games away from a World Series. So, I, you know, fans are, you know, Dan Shaughnessy likes to keep running the narrative that they're cheap and they're never going to spend money again. Uh, I, you know, we'll see. He certainly hasn't signed a big, big contract yet. Freddie Freeman's still out there. And, and every time somebody makes a move, you know, the Yankees kind of pull themselves out of that sweepstakes. The Rays pull themselves out of that sweepstakes. So if you believe John Heyman and a few others – uh, the Red Sox are in, and at this point, are probably one of only three or four teams that could really pull it off. And and that would certainly make you happy. That would be the vibe you're looking for, Brady. Yes. Red Sox and Bruins insider Ness and Tom Karen with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, on the Freeman stuff, I got all excited yesterday about Freeman, and then today I realized, oh, yeah, they got this Cassis guy who's pretty good coming up. Would you be interested in signing Freeman to a one-year, $38 million deal to, to hold yes. the plates for Cassis? Absolutely. I mean, I just I don't think Freeman's going to be interested yeah. in that, but but we'll see. Uh, oh, my God, that's a no-brainer. I'd pay him whatever it takes to get him here for one year. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd pay him for a few years. I'm not worried about that. Figure that out later. You know, I mean, I, again, I know I just said it's crazy to sign a bunch of guys at the same position, but Freddie Freeman, is one of the best players in the game. I mean, we're talking the uh, the absolute short list of elite players. Uh, World Series winner last year, MVP the year before. Uh, what was that? Yeah, Gold Glove, Silver Sluggers, five-time All-Star. I mean, this guy is is obviously an impact guy to any team. Does what what Schwarber did for this team at the end last year times more, times three. 
Um, so I, I bring him in and if I can pull it off in whatever type of deal it takes. Does that mean Casas doesn't have a future here? I don't know. You know, he probably wouldn't be here till the end of the year. Uh, maybe maybe you're going to try to sign Devers and that isn't going to work out. So maybe Casas is your third baseman of the future, which was his original position. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but but Casas isn't here yet. You know, it's one thing if he was your first baseman and was your first baseman to begin the year and he's ready. He's not ready yet. And you never know what happens. So I, if I signed Fre- Freeman for one, two, five years, whatever I have to. The sale question right now, I think, is the biggest question. But before that, my biggest question is, is Jackie Bradley Jr. really a guy you can you want playing 162 games? And based on your talk with Alex Cora the other day, it sounds like as of today, he's your starting everyday right fielder at this point. So JBJ and right. And then health wise, I don't know if I can trust Christian Arroyo to play 162 games at second. I think those are the two positions right now that I'm most keyed in on. Yeah, I, I like Arroyo a lot. Uh, and you're right. He's never been durable. But the thing about Arroyo is it's not. I, again, it's like we're saying with Sale in the Ribs. It's not a chronic thing. He doesn't have a knee that gives out. He doesn't have a shoulder that's a problem. He gets hit by pitches. He runs into Kike Hernandez in center field. You know, those are, those are how he got the injuries last year. Uh, the, 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 hitting, the hit by pitch thing is a problem because it's happened to him multiple times over his career. He's lost months and months and months over the course of his career by getting hit by pitches. So, you know, I've talked about bubble wrap. Uh, that obviously won't work. But some sort of, you know, he's tried different guards. I don't know, but we saw, you know, he hit 313 in the ALDS against the Rays. I mean, when this guy's healthy and playing really good defensively. So, I, I, you know, I think to start, the plan is he's your second baseman, Kike's in center field. Now, back to Jackie, I, I still think they're going to grab an outfielder before this is all said and done. Uh, maybe not a, you know, a, a top-line starting type guy, but I think a fourth guy who can help. Jaron Duran will probably be part of the mix before it's all said and done, though he'll start in AAA, I assume. I, I think there's room for one more guy out there, and there's plenty of names out there. I think, you know, again, we, we start Grapefruit League play tomorrow, and, and three weeks from tomorrow, the season opens at Yankee Stadium, and there's still a lot of uh, free agents out there, and I got to think there's going to be a little, little bit of a musical chairs situation at the end where you're going to have a lot of free agents diving for one-year deals, and that could play into the hands of a guy like Ike High and Bloom. So is Jackie 162? No. But if, you know, they already think, uh, Cora telling me earlier in the week that they believe they've already identified some things with his swing from last year in Milwaukee. They have a relationship with him. You know, if this was a new guy coming in who hit whatever Jackie hit last year below the Mendoza line, and you had to start a relationship and tell this guy, here's why you struggled last year, that can be problematic. But they know Jackie. I think they're going to hit the ground running. If he hits a little bit, since saying this Jackie's entire career, all he's got to do is hit a little bit, play ninth, be terrific in the outfield hit a little bit, hit, hit 240, uh, hit one out of the yard every now and again. If he does that, he'll play a lot of baseball. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas show. We'll get you out of here on two questions, one significantly more serious than the other. Uh, Nesson put out their um, broadcast team for the season yesterday. A lot of new faces, a lot of exciting guys with Red Sox ties. Obviously, Mo Vaughn, Will Middlebrooks, Kevin Millar. Was that decision made because the network – can't and doesn't want to try to replace Jerry Remy right away? Or is it just, unfortunately, an opportunity to get a lot of new faces into the fold? Yeah, um, a little bit of both, I would say. First and foremost, you can't replace Jerry. It's just yeah. he's irreplaceable. There, there will never be another Jerry Remy. We'll miss him every day we do this. Uh, I, I, you know, since baseball started up, I've, I've wanted to text him a dozen times. Uh, so it's kind of going through the whole process all over again, which isn't easy. 
you know, the, the other reason you can't replace a Jerry Remy is there just aren't guys hanging around who want to do 120 games anymore. You know, it, we kind of joked when, when I was a little bit involved in the process of, of talking to some of these guys, you know, they all made a lot of money. I mean, and not just the guys we hired, like anybody who's played baseball in the last 15 years made a lot of money. You go, it's really, and I am not talking about any of the guys we hired. Okay. So yeah. take them out of the equation, but you go find some, some mediocre players and they made 32 million. They made 20 million. I mean, it, so, you know, I remember talking to Bronson Arroyo. Just, yeah, I know him, and like, you know, interested in this. He's like, dude, I'm spending this month in Brazil with Pearl Jam. Why would I want to go work every night? You know, and 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 so that's, you know, when when you get to that point, you got to find it. So I guess the point is, if you look at most networks now, whether it's the MLB Network, us, you know, the Yes Network, which I think is probably a comparable big market to, you know, network like us, you have to have a few guys who can juggle schedules because they all have other interests. They all have family time that they missed over the course of long season. So I think we're really lucky to have guys like, like Kevin Millar and, and Kevin Euclid. I mean, listen, I, I want full credit for you. Yeah. Prior to last year, I was one who went to Nesson and said, you know, we're going to have these guys zooming in once in a week. Uh, we need to get you. And they were like, well, they hadn't even really thought of it. And I know Kevin and he's funny and he's engaging and he knows hitting and, and he's a terrific personality. And when it's a nine, two game, he can tell us some Tom Brady stories. So you know all that. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and so he did it last year and he was great. And then, so the season ended, I reached out to him and I, I said, Hey, you, you should talk to them about being in the booth. He's, ah, I don't know. So I had to like convince him to try. And he came in an audition and he was terrific. So, and Will Middlebrooks, if you follow him on social media, yeah. is is a great baseball mind, uh, really modern, uh, analytics-driven uh, type guy, uh, and knows what's going on with that respect. Tony Maserati is going to be a wild card. Uh, I, you know, he's he's a radio guy, but 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 a really 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 bright baseball mind. This guy uh, before radio covered the game as closely as anybody and talks the game as well as anybody, and and was terrific when he came in. Uh, so and and you know I just think and you know, bring back everybody else that we already have. Eck is terrific, and Wake and Rice and Donardo and Movon and Ellis Burks. I mean, it's an unbelievable lineup. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. As I said, a lot less serious. You got UVM in your bracket tomorrow night, nine twenty. Catamounts thirteen seed against Arkansas. Yeah, they got a chance. I mean, a thirteen seed is always in the hunt. I'm not going to lie, and I, I I say this every year. The only bracket I'm looking at is the NCAA hockey tournament. So yeah. I'm the wrong guy to ask. And the only time <laughs> I've ever won. A basketball uh, pool, a bracket, was was when I was the play-by-play voice of an American Hockey League team, and it was like 20 Canadian guys trying to pick teams. <laughs> and, you know, I, I won. I think I'd won before uh, the, the quarterfinals were over. I think we were half – you know, it was 4 o'clock on the Sunday of the quarterfinals, and I'd already won the, 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 the entire thing because – because they were trying to write in McGill and University of Toronto. <laughs> uh, and and so, yeah, I, 13 seeds always have a chance. I, I love that UVM got that high seed. I mean, again, 13 doesn't sound high, but that's, you know, 13 is usually the upset special. You usually get at least one or two 13s advancing. So why not? Well, Let's go. TC, have a fun weekend on the ice. We'll get you down to Fort Myers soon, and uh, we'll talk more Red Sox next week. Next week, I will be in the sun when we talk. Looking forward to it. Oh, me too. Happy for you, TC. We'll get to. We'll recap what TC had to say in the six o'clock hour. What we'll do when we come back is we'll first the CBS News update, and then a lot of people talking about UVM in Arkansas. What are they saying? I'll play the sound. That's next on WDEV. Make your opinion.
Not there. How about this button? Your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. Full show today, all 90 minutes up until 7 o'clock. Jazz with George Thomas comes up at that time. This show, when it's over, you can find the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just go and search for us, Brady Farkas Show. You'll see our show logo there, a nice kind of cartoon, uh, cartoonish version of me. And a guy by the name of Dave Woodrick did a great job putting our logo together. So, again, you can check the podcast out for free on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text lines open, 802-585-3026. We're going to get to UVM momentarily. But Phil says, hey, Brady, my friend's daughter just did a 5K in under 17 minutes. Why would it take you 30 minutes? Uh, Here's the quick answer to that, Phil. One, I'm 32 years old. That does not mean old, but... I have a feeling that your friend's daughter is significantly younger than me, and that's you know part of the joke here. So 32 years old, I am not a runner, nor have I ever been a runner. I can spin a curveball. I can shoot a jump shot. I can throw a football. Those are the athletic things that I am good at. I am good at the bat and ball sports. I am not good at running. Running is not fun to me either. Running is fun to a lot of people. It is therapeutic for a lot of people. For me, running is work. In the sports that I played growing up, running is punishment. So me running a 5K in under 30 minutes, that would be an accomplishment. That would be a massive accomplishment for me. And your friend's daughter, that's incredible for her. She's probably younger and in better shape. Oh, and then Phil says, uh, yeah, she's a college runner. I rest my case. There you go. So it's a pretty far. I did do, I'm in week four of my training. I did run yesterday. I had one day where I kind of slipped up and didn't do it when I was supposed to do it. But other than that, I've been largely on schedule with this training. I did, let me see. I ran 27 minutes yesterday and I got to about 2.6 miles. So my goal is to, again, run the 5K in under 30 minutes. I know there's going to be some race day adrenaline. I know that's going to help me. I also don't know if the course features any elevation. That certainly would hurt me. So my goal in training is to eventually get to the full 5K in under 30 minutes. I'd love to be at about 29 minutes so that I could really see what it's like here. Uh, you know, uh, to Give myself a minute of slippage around what could potentially be some elevation. So, all right, that's enough for my running talk. So, again, I'll keep you all abreast here. We're about uh, three weeks away from the 5K, maybe two and a half weeks away. So I'm looking forward to doing it. And, again, I'd love to crack 30 minutes. we got a lot of sound to play here today. A lot of people talking about UVM and Arkansas. This game tips off about 20 Seven hours from now, tomorrow at 9.20, Catamounts and Razorbacks. Before we play the sound, let's kind of get into the particulars. Let's acquaint ourselves here with Arkansas. Arkansas went 25-8 this year. They were 13-5 inside SEC play, and the SEC was very good this year and very competitive. Arkansas was 4-1 against the top 25. So not only did they get a lot of wins, 
They beat a lot of good teams as well. As you know, UVM went 28 and 5, 17 and 1 inside their league play. They were 0 and 2 against the Power 5 schools on their schedule being Maryland and Providence. Offensively, Arkansas is good. They are big. They are very big. They have four players that average double figures. They have four starters at 6'6 or above, and they have one starter at 6'10, and they went to the Elite Eight a year ago. So Arkansas, certainly a good team. And while UVM is a trendy upset pick, and while a lot of people are picking UVM, including former President Obama, he picked in his bracket, he picked UVM. So a lot of people are picking UVM. Don't overlook Arkansas. They are very good. They beat Kentucky this year. They beat Tennessee this year. They beat LSU this year. They beat several tournament teams, and they played very well in their league. So while I'm certainly confident that UVM can play well, and I heck, I'm picking UVM to win as well, but I am not overlooking how good the Razorbacks are. So now that you know the team itself, let's talk about what people are saying. Eric Eaton, the men's basketball coach at St. Michael's College, he was on with us yesterday. He was he'd been to the NCAA tournament seven times as a Division One assistant. Here's kind of what he said is the big key for UVM. Um, you know, I think you got to do what you do. Uh, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is is you know all these teams, especially the teams that the smaller teams or smaller leagues that won their league, they're all there for a reason, and they're all there because whatever it is that they do, whatever they believe in. And whatever their coaches are teaching and preaching and their kids are doing, they do it at an elite level. Um, That's true. UVM cannot change their style. They execute their style at an elite level. They can't all of a sudden tomorrow morph into somebody that they're not, and they can't try to play whatever game Arkansas is going to try to play. UVM needs to try to play their game. They need to try to do what they do well. It's not necessarily about trying to keep up with Arkansas. It's not solely about just trying to, yeah, but let's try to really go against what Arkansas does poorly. It's not about that. You've got to do what you do well. There is an element of taking away what Arkansas does, but as for what, what the main key you need to do, you need to continue to do what you have done all year. That's the key for UVM. UVM defends well. They rebound well, especially on the defensive glass. They're smart offensively. They have a bevy of scores available to them, and they need to trust those guys. This can't only be the Ben Shungu and Ryan Davis hour here. They need to play like stars, but UVM's going to need that one to two other guys to step up, and those other guys need to be trusted they need to be empowered and they need to be given the green light Justin Missoula Finn Sullivan Aaron Deloney when he's in Nick Fiorillo when he is in Isaiah Powell this team has other options those guys need to be trusted and they need to be empowered they can play too they have played all year long and they have played well they need to be given the freedom to do just that so as for what UVM does well to Eric Eaton's point I think UVM needs to continue to shoot the three. I think they need to continue to take shots when they're available, and everybody on the floor needs to be willing and trusted to take shots. And then defensively and rebounding, UVM needs to remain solid. We continued on with Eric Eaton yesterday. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. I mean, as you well know, you know, you've been covering this forever. 
that it's it's really the matchup. Like it's it's how do you you know what do you do? What do they do? What are their strengths? What are your strengths? And, and how can you exploit things that, that the other team doesn't do well? And you know, no matter what anybody wants to think, I don't care who who you're playing, they do have a weakness and they do have some things that they struggle with. So in addition to doing what you do well, and I mentioned sticking with what got you here, that is the number one key. But the secondary key is you've got to find Arkansas's weakness and you've got to be willing to exploit it when you can. It's John Becker and his staff's job to find Arkansas's weakness. And what is Arkansas's weakness? Well, Arkansas does not shoot the three well. And if you want the exact kind of um, clarity on just how poorly they shoot the three, here was Nick Petritroni, Nick Petricioni, rather, who I spoke with yesterday down at a TV station in Little Rock. The formula is if you can hit the outside shot, you you have a great chance. Arkansas's defense historically uh, in three-point, I think this is their seventh worst three-point defense in the history of their program. They, for some reason, just cannot figure out how to defend outside the arc. So if you can hit your three ball consistently, even at a rate that's like 40%, which is pretty good in the game, you will have a great chance. All right, so I kind of played the wrong clip there. That was him talking about Arkansas's three-point defense not being good. Well, like I said, UVM needs to shoot the three well on offense, so that's all true. Arkansas also does not shoot the three well themselves. UVM has to be able to make Arkansas jump shot dependent. Arkansas is 31% from three this year as a team. They're like 313th nationally in three-point percentage. If this game turns into Arkansas breaking you down off the dribble and getting to the basket with ease and then getting you in foul trouble and getting to the free throw line, then this game is going to be over before it starts. If this game turns into Arkansas dominating you off the dribble, then this game is going to be over before it starts. But if UVM can pack in the interior, if they can bait you into jump shots, and they can just let you lay the foundation of a house brick by brick, then UVM, that's where they have a real chance to win. And Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio, who I spoke with earlier today, he agreed. Well, you got to pack it on a defensive play, sort of like a, a Virginia pack line defense that we see Tony Bennett has done so well, the great effect for the Cavaliers. You dare Arkansas to beat you from the outside. What's the old Bill Belichick line? you got to make a team play left-handed. Well, that is the left-hand. For Arkansas. Make Arkansas play left-handed. Pack the interior, force them to shoot jump shots, dare them to shoot jump shots. If Arkansas hits 12 threes and wins this game, then I will tip my hat and say, okay, you deserve to go on to the round of 32. But if Arkansas can just go in and get 55 points in the paint, I cannot accept that as a Catamount fan. If UVM's going to lose because Arkansas shot the lights out, then so be it. But if Arkansas is just going to pummel you down low and take you off the dribble and draw double teams and then kick to another cutter for a dunk, that's something that cannot happen. So if you're looking for early keys to the game today, and we got more keys coming tomorrow, UVM needs to do what they do well, play their own style, and they're going to need to hit the three to the clip you just heard's point. Arkansas does not defend the three well. And then, on defense, UVM needs to force Arkansas into taking the three because Arkansas doesn't shoot it well. 
Arkansas is big. They have length. They have size. They've got a guy in Jalen Williams in the middle who's six foot ten. They are going to have the advantage inside. UVM needs to try to do everything they can to neutralize that advantage by forcing Arkansas to play from the outside and by baiting them into playing from the outside. Because if that happens, not only does Arkansas miss a lot, right? Like they're likely to miss if they take a lot of threes. I also think that UVM would have a real advantage on the defensive glass in that situation. I, I did not know this coming into this research. UVM is the most efficient defensive rebounding team in the entire country. If Arkansas plays the game, if they take the bait, if they're willing to fire up shots from deep, then I'm confident that UVM can limit second chances and then get out offensively. That's where, in my opinion, the game needs to be played. Force Arkansas into jump shots, limit them to one shot, and then get out and go, and conversely, hit some threes of your own on the other end. And I would not be shocked at all. In fact, I think it's likely that UVM is ready and willing to shoot a bunch of threes. When they played Florida State a couple of years ago, they had to have taken 35 threes. In that tournament game in 2019, they had to have taken 35 threes. I don't know that they're going to take that many tomorrow night, but don't be afraid. Benny's going to take them. Davis is going to take them. Deloney's going to take them. Fiorillo can take them. You're going to see uh, Finn Sullivan take him, Missoula take him. The only guy who I don't really want to see take a lot of threes is Isaiah Powell. Everybody else, I think, has free reign to just fire from three when the shot is there. That's what UVM needs to do. UVM does not have a post player outside of Ryan Davis. And we've seen Isaiah Powell be able to, to bully guys, but... I don't think he's going to be able to bully guys down low on Arkansas. So this is going to be a perimeter-oriented strategy for UVM. They've got one post player in Davis, and he's going to have to work so hard. I don't think they're just going to camp him down there and let him bang around all game long. UVM, I think, this needs to be a perimeter game for them. Force Arkansas into the three and be able to hit your own threes. Continuing on, Brady Farkas show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. We've also got John Becker, who was on national radio yesterday with Jim Rome on CBS Sports. Here's what Becker had to say. Yeah, that's a great point. I I think, you know, per Ken Palm, we're the fourth oldest team in the country, and uh, a lot of guys have played in the NCAA tournament already. So, um, yeah, this group has been very, um, you know, level-headed, you know, despite, you know, the excitement of being in the NCAA tournament. you know, we're hoping to, to, to stay in this tournament. And uh... the experience that UVM has is absolutely a benefit. Fourth oldest team in the country. That's pretty big stuff. Five seniors, at least academically, in your starting lineup. Multiple guys that have played in the tournament. These guys are not going to be overwhelmed. They're not going to be overwhelmed by the moment, and they're not going to be overwhelmed by Arkansas themselves. A lot of guys here have played a lot of basketball. And, you know, yesterday I was on Arkansas television. Like I was a guest on Arkansas television. And I was asked the question, is UVM just happy to be here or do they actually think that they can win? And I, they definitely think that they can win. They are not just happy to be here. You heard Becker say there, this is a business trip for our guys. 
And that is the attitude that they have had all season. This whole season has been a business trip for UVM. I don't know if they're going to win. I'm picking them to win. I don't know if they're going to. But if they lose, it's not going to be because they were afraid. That is That I am confident in. If UVM loses, it's not going to be because they were afraid. They are ready to play, and they are ready to win. And everyone I hear talking continues to just feed that point to me. They are ready to go in, compete, ready to play with, and ready to pull the upset. And it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see UVM as an underdog. We never... We haven't seen UVM as an underdog for two and a half months. They've been favored in every game that they've played since New Year's. And then the few games before the Christmas holiday, they were favored as well. This will be a chance for UVM to come out and play free and play loose. UVM is favored in every league game they played all season. They're going to get a chance to play the other way this time. And I'm excited to see what they're like when they have nothing to lose. Because I think they have a chance to be pretty special. Remember, they only lost to Maryland by two. Remember, they or uh, was it two? They didn't lose by many. They they also played pretty well for a long time against Providence. This team is good. And when Becker says we want to stay in this tournament, they this is not just a we're happy to be here team. This is not just oh it's a cute story. I think thirty five percent of simulations have UVM winning. I've got them winning. Freddie Coleman's got him winning. I got Vermont winning that ball game because I think their senior leadership and toughness is going to be a bit too much for Arkansas. Senior leadership and toughness. UVM has it in spades. Arkansas has size. They have strength. UVM absolutely has that senior leadership. They have experience. And they have the ability, I think, to do the two things that Arkansas doesn't do well. One, UVM can hit the three, which Arkansas can't defend. And two... UVM is a great rebounding team defensively. They can limit you to one shot. And I think they have the discipline and the smarts to pack in the interior and force Arkansas into outside shots. That should be the game plan as far as I'm concerned. I think that it will be. We're going to talk with an Arkansas insider tomorrow on the show. It's going to be our last look at the Razorbacks. And I'm going to see exactly what he says. What is the formula to beat Arkansas. We're going to get it tomorrow. And uh, I'm going to talk with Brian McLaughlin here in about 10 minutes, by the way. Brian McLaughlin is a UVM men's basketball broadcaster over at Learfield Sports, kind of on their radio side of things. And we'll, we'll, we'll ask him, like, he's in Buffalo. What what does it look like the plan is? Brian McLaughlin's going to be with us here in about 10 to 12 minutes. So we'll get the scoop from Buffalo. Okay, we do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. 
All right. Who's saying what is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash? That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at just $20 a month. If you want a free car wash, the listeners just need to text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So again, unlimited car washes, $20 a month, one free one. Text the word Vermont to 30 and then 400. We do have some breaking news here out of Major League Baseball. Third baseman Chris Bryant is in agreement on a seven-year contract worth $182 million with the Colorado Rockies. With the Colorado Rockies. So Chris Bryant, we thought maybe back to the Giants. We thought maybe Seattle would be in the mix. We thought Luke Warmly, possibly, hopefully the Red Sox could be in the mix. But nope, seven years, $182 million. That is actually less money than I was expecting. That was actually less money than I was expecting. I really, I was thinking it was going to be at least over two hundred. So that was, um, yeah, that was surprising to me. Now, it's really interesting, by the way, because I don't know exactly what the Rockies' organizational philosophy is. The Rockies traded Nolan Arenado, their franchise pillar, because they didn't want to pay him. And then they just went and gave Chris Bryant $172 million. Now, I think the Chris Bryant money is a little less than what Arenado would have garnered for them. Like, he would have been like, Arenado would have been like 220 So they did save some money there. But the Rockies are a team that haven't wanted to spend. And here they are spending seven years, $182 million. So that is, uh, that is definitely very, very interesting. So uh, we'll talk about it with Buster Olney tomorrow as well. So... Um, okay, there you go. I, w- I want to get, I want to stay in baseball. I'm going to talk about the Red Sox here. Um, yesterday, I got all excited talking about Freddie Freeman, right? Freddie Freeman's still a free agent as we talk right now. I got all excited about the idea of Freddie Freeman maybe playing for the Red Sox. And I had the idea, let's get Freeman to, uh, let's get Freeman in here. Let's put Dahl back in left. And, you know, I was all, I was all gung ho about it. I got too excited because yesterday I pretty much forgot that Tristan Cassis existed. Tristan Cassis is one of the top prospects in baseball. He's the Red Sox top prospect, and he's a first baseman in waiting. So I am not in favor of blocking Tristan Cassis. He's a guy that can be in Boston for 10 years and can be an all-star level player. I am not in favor of blocking him. I don't want to limit him. So right now, yesterday I would have signed Freddie Freeman to a five- or six-year deal. Today I can't do that because today I don't want to limit Tristan Cassis. I need to be cognizant, one, that he exists, and that was my, you know, just kind of overexcitement yesterday, and two, I need to be cognizant of his spot and his development, and yesterday I wasn't. So I do have a new idea that High and Bloom should explore. The Red Sox should explore offering Freddie Freeman a huge one-year deal. And this is a this is a great idea for the Red Sox. The real question is, would Freeman do it? And I'm talking like huge, like money we've never seen huge. One year, $38 million. One year, $42 million. One year, $46 million. Up to $50 million. Like the Red Sox have the financial muscle to do that. They have the financial muscle to make that kind of thing happen. And this plan, while unlikely that Freeman would accept it, it does accomplish all of your goals, doesn't it? It gets the Red Sox another left-handed bat, which they need. 
right? We talked yesterday about how they're more right-handed dominant. It makes you better defensively. Freddie Freeman is an excellent defensive first baseman. It gives you another middle-of-the-order bat, which is something that you really need. It helps you keep up with the rest of the American League that's making moves. Helps you keep up with the rest of the American League East. You know that Freddie Freeman is a winner. You know he can perform in the clutch. He just helped the Braves win the World Series. He'll be a great clubhouse guy, and he's a guy who can hit near 300, who can hit 25 to 28 to 30 home runs. And then if I sign him to a one-year deal, he keeps the seat warm for Cassis, and I haven't blocked his development. So from my standpoint, getting Freddie Freeman for one year at a huge dollar amount is absolutely worth it to me. Tom Karen agreed with me. Absolutely. I mean, I just I don't think Freeman's going to be interested yeah. in that, but but we'll see. Uh, oh my God, that's a no brainer. I'd pay him whatever it takes to get him here for one year. Uh, but you know, I I'd pay him for a few years. I'm not worried about that. Figure that out later. Yeah. So he's less concerned about blocking Cassis. He's like, just figure it out later. And maybe that is a strategy. If you want to give Freeman a five or six year deal. And you can figure something out with Cassis. Maybe that's possible. And in that case, I, I would probably do that as well. Now, they could sign Freeman and they could put Cassis at third and put Devers at DH next year if they want when Martinez is gone. There's a lot of things they could do. But right now, I would look at offering Freddie Freeman just a massive one-year deal. It's the perfect scenario for the Red Sox. Again, left-handed bat, middle-of-the-order bat, impact bat, good clubhouse guy, proven winner, good defensively, doesn't block Cassis entirely. I love the idea of a one-year deal. I just get where Freddie Freeman's coming from. Number one, we just saw Chris Bryant get $182 million. The money is now out there. So Freeman sees that, and now he has a better idea of what's available to him. I would take... Six years in, in 150 over one for 40. I mean, you know, Freddie Freeman is 32 years old. This is his last great contract. He'd probably like to get the multi-year contract now and have it for the next five, six years and basically end his career on that deal. I mean, if Freddie Freeman could get six for 150 and I offer him one for 40, I think I'd still rather take six for 150. It's lower annual value, but if Freddie Freeman plays this year and gets hurt, then he's really impacted his bite at the apple next year. If Freddie Freeman plays this year on a one-year deal and is bad, he's impacted his value for next year. Six for 150 at his age is better than my one for 38, my one for 44, or whatever it might be. I would offer it. I could make a real case as to why it's great for the Red Sox, but I get why Freeman wouldn't want it or would look quizzically at it, and especially with the money that Chris Bryant has just gotten, then you know, I could see why he would think something better is on the other side. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We're going to talk with Brian McLaughlin, the UVM men's basketball radio broadcaster. We're going to do that at about – he's just texted me. We're going to do that at about 640, so we'll talk to Brian then. Until then. When we come back, how do you think Mac Jones feels today? Free agency has started officially. The new league year has started. The Patriots haven't added much. In fact, they've only lost people. How do you think that Mac Jones feels right now? I'll tell you how 
I think he feels, and it might actually surprise you. That's next on WDEV. Back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Catamount broadcaster Brian McLaughlin with us here in just a couple of minutes. So we'll talk with him and get the scoop on the cats out in Buffalo. The show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training. Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at ProDriverCDL.com. Enosburg and Milton is where there are uh, facilities for Pro Driver Training. And they are, again, ProDriverCDL.com. Quick question before we get back into UVM, and it's something I've been thinking a lot about today. How do you think today Mac Jones feels? I know how I think he feels, and my answer may actually surprise you. But how do you think that Mac Jones feels? I'm looking at this from an angle, or I'm not looking at this from an angle. I'm not looking to pile on. I'm not looking to have an ulterior motive. I'm not even looking to crush the Patriots like I've been doing for the last couple of weeks. How do you think Mac Jones feels today? Do you think that he is angry at the team for not doing more? Do you think that he is sad that a lot of his friends are gone? Is he happy because of the guys that were brought back? Is he worried about the direction of the team? How do you think Mac Jones feels? And if you want to kind of have a primer on everything that's happened for the Patriots, we'll run through it quickly. The team cut Kyle Van Noy. Dante Hightower is a free agent. He's going to be gone. Jawan Bentley is a free agent, too. Patriots need all-new linebacker room. They traded Chase Winovich. They did get one linebacker yesterday in that deal by the name of Mac Wilson. They have lost J.C. Jackson, who went to the Chargers. They have lost Ted Karras, who signed with the Bengals. Shaq Mason, they traded to the Bucks, And Trent Brown is a free agent, too. That's a lot of turnover. They did bring back Matthew Slater, James White, and Devin McCourty. By the way, Brandon Bolden just signed with the Raiders. Jakob Johnson, their fullback, he just signed with the Raiders. Gunnar Olszewski, their all-pro return man, he's a free agent. So a lot of things have happened for the Patriots roster-wise, and and most of it is, is not great, right? They've let a lot of players go. So my question to you is, how is Mac Jones feeling today? Is he again? Is he angry? Is he sad? Is he happy because of the guys that brought back? Is he worried about the direction of the team? I really think that Mac Jones might be all of that, honestly. But more so than anything, I think that today, Mac Jones is realizing just how much of a business the NFL is. I think for Mac Jones, this is his wow moment. Like, we were in the playoffs two months ago. And in the span of that two months, nearly our entire playoff, our entire starting roster is changed out. That's a pretty wow moment for a guy. Two months ago, we're in the playoffs thinking we have a chance to get to a Super Bowl. And two months later, we're out. I mean, just we're out, what, four starters on defense. We're out at the moment, three starters on offense. Brandon Bolden, Jakob Johnson, I guess four starters on offense when you throw Johnson in there, and our lead return man. That is a lot to absorb if you're a young player. Like, I think today is the day where Mac Jones looked at it and says it is not just a game. This is a business. Veteran players cut, good players let go, good players not re-signed, different players coming in. 
That's how I think Mac Jones feels today. He may privately be angry at somebody who was at a decision that was made. He may privately be worried about the direction of the organization like I am. He may privately be happy that guys are back that he likes. He may be all of those things. But today, I think that Mac Jones looks at this like, this is my welcome to the business moment. This is it for him. I always ask, I ask, I love asking athletes when I interview them, hey, what was the moment you realized that this was a business? And for some of them, it's when I went through a contract organiz- uh, negotiation. For some of them, it's when uh, I went to arbitration. For some of them, it's when, hey, when I saw that guy get traded, I knew that anybody was expendable. When I saw that guy get cut, I was like, wow, if that guy can get cut, what could happen to me? I think that this is that day for Mac Jones. All the carnage around him in the Patriots roster, this is that day. This is that welcome to the business of the NFL kid. It's not just football. And I think today is the day that Mac Jones realized that. That's what I think. Again, and I think that answer might surprise people. Like, I'm upset at what the Patriots have done. And I bet deep down Mac Jones isn't loving what's transpiring right now. But more than anything, I'm just like, this is the moment I realize it's not a bit. It's, it's not just a game. This is the moment I think it's a business. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line is open, 802-585-3026. I want to go out to the phone line now, and I want to bring on Brian McLaughlin. Brian McLaughlin is the UVM men's basketball radio broadcaster, works for Learfield Sports. You can listen to his calls on the Varsity Sports app, which is part of the Varsity Sports Network. So Brian is live in Buffalo, getting ready for Catamount basketball tomorrow from Buffalo at 9.20 p.m. UVM is taking on Arkansas. Brian, I'll just I'll start it with this. First off, hope you are well and traveled safe. Second off, I was on Arkansas television yesterday, right? I was on last night. And the host asked me, does Vermont really think that they can win this game? Or is Vermont just happy to be here? I absolutely think their attitude is one of that they think that they can win. It's definitely a group that feels like they can keep winning because recently they feel like they're playing at a level that, like Benny said post game on Saturday, they feel like they can at least compete with anybody and then they feel like late in the game when it's uh, time for the bright lights to come on, they've got a couple of dudes that can go out and win them a basketball game. And so uh, I know the coaches really feel like this is um, not like other years necessarily where it feels like this is a real chance to not maybe just win one game, but there's a chance to make a run, which I know is being predicted by a lot of people out there. It's a very trendy upset pick, which frankly makes me a little bit nervous that so many people are on the catamounts, but uh, it's great to have so much support. And it is this group that um, they like to have fun. It's a loose group. They've said it all year, a really close group in the locker room, but they are also a really confident group. It's underrated. I think just how much confidence this group is playing with right now. Um, And it has been building up ever since kind of late December The confidence started to grow as those three-point shots started to fall. The offense really kind of peaked in confidence mid-conference play. And then the underrated thing right now, I think, is just how confident they are on the defensive end. Everybody knows their roles on that end of the floor. 
and you know Coach Becker. It starts with that defensive end, and so I think that that's why it is a group that feels like they've got a legitimate shot, and they are treating it like a business trip. That word intention, I think you said, is, is a really good way to put it. They've got intent to do damage throughout this tournament. Based on what I have heard about Arkansas, they are a team that is, they're going to play with a lot of size. They're going to play four big guys in their starting lineup. That leads me to believe that UVM is not going to want to get into a half-court slog with a team that's much, much bigger than them. The way I see it, they're going to try to get out in transition, and they're going to jack a bunch of threes. We saw them do this against Florida State a couple of years ago. It had to have been 35 threes they took in that game a couple of years ago. Is that the way you see it here with still a day and change to go? In some ways, yes. In other ways, no. So Jalen Williams is kind of the headliner as far as size goes for Arkansas. He's um, an all-conference SEC defensive player, leads the country in charges taken as a center. He's also the leading shot blocker on Arkansas. Really good defender down low. Then they start three six-six wings. So that is kind of their size that they can bring. Um, but none of those guys are post threats. So it's mm. not like that they are going to hammer the ball down low in the post. What I have seen from Arkansas is I do my research. This is a team that wants to attack the rim on drives. And that is an area where Vermont can defend well on the defensive end. They are very good at defending in gaps. Help side defense is a strength of John Becker's defensive style. So it's going to be interesting to see if Vermont can make Arkansas jump shooters. They want it to be a half-court game. They want to slow it down if they can keep Arkansas on the perimeter. Arkansas is not a three-point shooting team. Nobody shoots over 40% on their entire roster from beyond the arc. So Vermont, in some ways, wants to slow down Arkansas because Arkansas forces over 14 turnovers a game on the defensive end, and then that leads into their transition offense in particular jd note he's averaging over 18 points a game almost 20 points a game in conference play all sec all conference player he was the national sixth man of the year last year jd note is a six foot two guard their primary ball handler and he is a guy who really wants to attack the rim um, and especially in transition now note also shoots a lot of threes Listen to this, Brady. He's actually made more threes than Ben Shungu this year, but he shoots only 31%. Mm. So he shoots a lot of threes, but at a low percentage. If Vermont can make him a jump shooter, I think they can make it a half-court game. Vermont will try to run in transition when we get those opportunities. We know that. But they also know how disruptive Arkansas's defense is, how many turnovers they force. So Vermont, I think, will be very conscious of valuing every possession and making sure they get a good look rather than trying to change how they play based on Arkansas's style is kind of how I see it. Well, I'm hoping we talked about this yesterday. The Sorrentine from the parking lot memory is a great memory, but right now it's a standalone memory. And this program needs another memory. And I'm hoping tomorrow night is the opportunity to make that next memory. So, Brian, man, we appreciate the time. We've done great work all season. Tomorrow, people can listen to the game on the Varsity Sports app through Learfield on the Varsity Sports Network. So, Brian McLaughlin, man, enjoy the tournament yourself. And uh, I'm sure we'll do a recap or something uh, next week. Hopefully, the Cats are still playing. Thanks, Brady. Ton of fun. Can't wait to watch the Cats coming up on Thursday.
Yeah, me as well. Cannot wait for tomorrow. St. Patrick's Brian, his last name is McLaughlin. There's some serious Irish in there. He's given up his St. Patty's Day to to be in Buffalo with the Cats. There you go. So, um, a lot of what we said, right? And a lot of good information to kind of prove what we said, is it not? Arkansas is a team they want to beat you off the dribble. We said that. You want to force Arkansas into being a jump shot dependent team. That's what Brian said. That's what we said. That's what Freddie Coleman said. So that's right. Brian does think that they want that the Cats want to kind of slow it down a little bit more offensively. I think they want to be methodical, but I don't think they want to play a slog. I don't think they're looking to just kind of really like when I used to cover U Albany, U Albany played in the tournament against Florida. And U Albany wanted to play that game at a snail's pace. They wanted to win that game 51 to 48. I don't think that's UVM tomorrow. I think UVM is more than content to play this game 77 to 74 if they have to. So I think they're going to get out. I think they're going to run. I don't, I guess to Brian's point, they're going to be smart with how they do it. They're not just going to, you know, three and D all game long. They're going to take a lot of threes, but I guess they will take them within the confines of the offense. So I like that, uh, you know, um, Brian says that they have intent. This team has intent, and that is exactly how I see them as well. I think UVM is going to win this game, and I'm 100% being a homer, but I've watched this team all year long. I have enough evidence of this team being good that I think they can and will win. I've also got some evidence now on my Twitter timeline that's some breaking news. This is not such good news. I'll tell you what it is and what it means for the Patriots. That's next on WDEV. In with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Breaking news from the NFL, and it's not good for the Patriots. The offseason of woe continues. Here's what we've got. The Buffalo Bills are signing Von Miller. That's right. Edge rusher, linebacker, Von Miller. Buffalo Bills. Another great player coming into the AFC. Another great player being added to a team that was already better than you. And another great player being there to wreak havoc directly on you. Von Miller signing with the Buffalo Bills. That Patriots offensive line that's going to be missing three-fifths of its starting lineup from a year ago, have fun. Here's what we've got. The Bills have loaded up at pass rushers in the draft. Their last three pass rushers, or last three first-round picks were all pass rushers. Now they get Von Miller. They're going to get uh, Tredavious White back from injury. The Bills are loaded yet again. And they're continuing to pull farther and farther away from you. You wonder why I have been in a negative mood about the Patriots for the last couple of weeks. It's because the Patriots get worse and everybody around them gets better. And that's just reality. The Buffalo Bills today signed Von Miller. Their pass rush is better. Their athleticism is better. They get Tredavious White back, who didn't even play in that playoff game the Patriots you know, got destroyed in. So their coverage is better. The Patriots right now are nowhere near the Buffalo Bills. The Patriots were beaten by 30-plus by Buffalo in the playoffs. 
and the Bills got better, and the Patriots have seen nothing but some tractions. I understand the draft is coming. I understand the Patriots can still sign people. Julio Jones just got cut. Maybe the Patriots can get him. There are players to get. The Patriots might end up better tomorrow than they are today. But the show is today, and the Chargers have gotten better, and the Raiders have gotten better, and the uh, Chiefs have gotten better, and Denver's gotten better, and Buffalo's gotten better, and Cincy's gotten better, and Cleveland's working to get better, and Baltimore's gotten better, and you have gotten much worse. And by the way, Indy might get better. I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. And just for good measure, the Bills have also signed former Bucks tight end O.J. Howard, former first-round pick out of Alabama. Certainly athletic. Don't know that he's going to go in and be a guy who catches 100 balls. But Josh Allen, O.J. Howard, Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. Uh, is Beasley, we got to check, is Beasley a free agent? Let's check that. Let's see if he's a free agent. I might be wrong on that. Uh, let's see. Nope. Cole Beasley's still there. Isaiah McKenzie, Gabriel Davis. Like, There's a lot of good players on the Buffalo Bills. Patriots have less of them. So it's uh, it's not good. I, po- I started off the show with an apology. I apologize for being so negative lately. But this is why I'm negative. Other teams are out signing Von Miller and trading for Russell Wilson and signing J.C. Jackson and trading for Khalil Mack. Other teams are bringing in uh, star safeties. Uh, the the Williams from the Saints who went to Baltimore. The Bengals are signing offensive linemen. Other team, the Browns are looking to upgrade a quarterback. The Colts are upgrading a quarterback, or at least they're trying to. Other teams are looking to get better. You, you're getting worse. And that's why I'm frustrated. And that's why I've been frustrated. And that's why I remain frustrated. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Go check out the podcast, everybody. Thanks to Tom Karen. Thanks to the time to Brian McLaughlin, the UVM men's basketball broadcaster. Tomorrow, we count down to the Catamounts. That's it. NCAA tournament will have started. We'll be ready. We're going to talk about UVM with Arkansas insider John Neighbors. He's going to join me as well tomorrow at 545. You'll hear from Buster Olney also. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Only one more sleep until UVM takes the floor. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. It's WDEV.